Last week, Pastor David did an excellent job of making us feel bad about ourselves. He went out of his way to make sure that we understood that we're hopeless. The reason that's so critical is because until we understand our hopelessness, we are going to struggle with understanding the rest of the gospel message. In the 1400s, there was a monk that sat studying and praying, and he was in pain. And he was in pain because he didn't know how he could ever understand for sure that he had done enough to be accepted by a holy God. He had confessed all of the sins he could think of. He had devoted his life to the church. He'd given to the church. He'd served in the church. And, and yet still he found himself wondering, agonizing in prayer, is it enough? And how will I know if it's ever enough? And when will I be sure that God will accept me? And, and the realization of I can never be sure if God's going to accept me until I come face to face with him. And then if it wasn't enough, it's too late to do anything about it. And this was the reality that Martin Luther found himself in until, until studying the book of Romans for himself, he came across this passage. I mean it this time. There it is. We'll get to Candyland. <laughs> John, fix it. There you go. This is the passage of scripture that Martin Luther came across that revolutionized his faith and, and in short order revolutionized the church that you and I are a part of. This is what it says. The good news, that's the gospel. The gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight. And you know what it is? It's not how much I give to the church. It's not how much I serve at the church. It's not how many sins I confess. It's not what rituals I participate in. It's none of that. Here's what it is. The good news, the gospel tells us how God makes us right in his sight, and it is accomplished from start to finish by faith. From start to finish, it is accomplished by faith. As the scriptures say, listen, it's through faith that a person has life. And see, what happened is when, when Martin Luther read those words, it revolutionized his understanding because he started to understand that it wasn't about whether or not he could stand before holy God with his list of things that he'd done and have it be enough. Instead, it was about the fact that from start to finish, his salvation was bought and paid for through faith. From start to finish. And that led to, to a revival in his soul. And it led to revival in the medieval church to the point where we can stand before you and say that we know for certain unequivocally that salvation comes by grace through faith for those who believe we've said this before that, that what it's like is is that um, salvation is is like a milkshake I like milkshakes right that's grace grace is this milkshake um, and, and faith is the straw with which I draw it out. Start to finish, faith. Faith is what draws the grace of God onto yourself. It's not what you do. I like what you do. 
I just asked you to get stepped in and involved in serving on a Sunday morning. It's not how much you give. Listen, I love it when you give generously to the church because that's how we do ministry, to bring more people to Jesus Christ. It matters, right? It's not whether you've been baptized. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to submit to baptism. It's biblical. It's not whether you take communion with us. And you should, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should celebrate communion with your brothers and sisters in Christ at the Lord's table. All of that matters. But none of that saves you. You are saved, start to finish, by the grace of God through faith. And this, this is the revolution of the soul. It's the hope um, David talked to us about a little bit last week, but, but he, he, he painted this picture. Paul paints the picture in the first few chapters of Romans about how we are dead and stuck, right? David made sure we knew last week how we were stuck. And every time he talked about being stuck in sin, I thought about gloppy. Maybe you're not a Candyland guy. We used to pick Candyland a lot as kids. Travis especially loved Candyland. He was a big fan of Candyland. Um, and here's the secret uh, pro tip, parents. I think I've probably told you this before, but here's what you do. You take that, that Queen Frostine card, right? And, and you hide it. Because when you get really tired of playing, hey, kids, what's that? And they look, and then you put it on top, and they draw it, because they can win. I don't care. They draw it, and they're like, oh, hey, I get to go all the way up to Queen Frostine, and then the game's over. So, you're welcome. But we were stuck in sin. Right? It's like you landed on the molasses swamp. That one says lose one turn, but the way we played at my house, because I think, you know, we're sadistic, is you had to keep drawing till you got red again. And that could go a long ways. It takes a long time. But we were stuck in sin. This is the reality of Martin Luther. We're standing before a holy God, and we are stuck in sin. But listen to me, there's hope. While our situation was hopeless, there is hope. Here's why I need you to understand that your situation was hopeless. Because we live in a world, we live in a culture, we live in the American church in this thing where we believe, listen to me, understand this, whether you know better or not, whether you've been taught in church or not, whether you've read it in scripture or not, whether it's been hammered into you or not, we live in a world where many of us are led to believe that we are good enough. And that we're good enough because we're better than other people. And we grade sin whether we want to or not, whether we admit it or not, it's what we do. And so we start to think to ourselves, well, you know what? There is no reasonable way that if God is really good that he will send me to hell. And I know some of you believe that. And I know some of you think that about people you love. Because you sit here in funerals and you tell me they're good. Even though you and I both know if the Bible is true, they're not. And I tell people this all the time. When I do funerals, it is one of the most heartbreaking things that I do. Because there are some times when there is so much hope. Because the person's life, you and I both know they were sold out for the kingdom of God. They were a follower of Jesus Christ. They were all in, and that is it. And so we celebrate with hope of the resurrection and what's going to happen for their future. But you know what? Then there are others. There are other funerals I do where um, they are hit or miss. Because this is a person who made a profession of faith. They talked a lot about Jesus, but their life showed no fruit. And so... We can have a little hope, maybe, 
that at least they knew some stuff. And, and we can have some hope that maybe they said, it's above my pay grade what happens there between God and them, but, but at least they, they knew what they needed to know. But then there are a few where there is no hope. These are the ones that break my heart, where people sit in my office or we sit at the funeral home and, and they're like, you know what, yeah, he, he believed in God. You know, not necessarily Jesus, but just God. But he was a good person. And I know that if God is good, there's no way God would send them to hell. Right? If God is a good God, then there has to be space for a good person to be okay when they die, even if they don't confess and believe in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. That breaks my heart because it is absolutely unequivocally not true. Because the story of redemption tells us that each and every one of us is stuck in sin. David made that point so clearly last week. If you missed last week's sermon, go listen online. Read the first three chapters of the book of Romans. Listen to me. Each and every one of us is stuck in sin. And there is no hope. There is no way that you can fix it. Have you ever done something that that went bad? And you thought to yourself, I can fix it. And then you try to fix it. And then what happens? It gets worse. Right? And then you think, no, 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 I can fix it. This, this when I was a kid, I decided that I would try out, and we were at Grandma's house, somebody's birthday party, I don't remember who, but there was a cake, and it had been frosted. And I like frosting. And I don't like to wait. I may have some impulse control issues. And so I decided to try the frosting. And it was good, so guess what I did? I decided to try some more. Next thing I know, this corner of the cake is devoid of frosting. It was bad. I was going to be found out. So here's what I did. I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll take a little frosting from over here, and I'll smear it over here, and I will make it better. Turns out, that's not a good idea. It went from bad to worse. That's what happens when we find ourselves in a situation where we try to fix it on our own. Listen, the situation is hopeless, and if we try to fix it on our own, we go from bad to worse. We dig ourselves in deep. We get religious. We get spiritual. We get a lot of things, but we don't get salvation because salvation comes one way, by grace through faith. We're all stuck, but thanks be to God right? We have hope. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look and we're going to jump around as, as Pastor David did last week, starting in Romans 3.21, and we're going to work through the first part of chapter 5. We're going to dig into what that hope looks like. So it starts here. But now, right? Hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. You're a sinner. There is no hope for you. You can't fix it on your own. There is a holy God and you are against him, right? The sin of Adam is on you. You have basically no chance you are a sinner. You can't fix it yourself. Again, go back and listen to Pastor David. It was not the most uplifting sermon at the beginning, but it was so critical for us to understand, right? And then what happens is this, but now, but now God has shown us a way. He has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. The reason that's important is because nobody could keep the requirements of the law. Remember, the requirements of the law were to be perfectly holy. The requirements of the law were to follow this. And and, and 
we know that there's no way to keep the requirements of the law in fullness. That was the whole Jewish system, right? Was, was to follow the Ten Commandments and then all of the hundreds of laws surrounding the Ten Commandments. And when you didn't, because you couldn't, because you're a sinner, we're all sinners, we're broken, we're messy, we know it. When we couldn't keep the requirements of the law, there was a sacrificial system that we could engage in. And, and by the blood of a lamb or, or a heifer or something, we could be atoned for for a minute. It would cover our sin for a second. Right? And it would make us okay with God for a second. But it didn't last because what would happen? As soon as we walked away again, because we're broken and messy, what did we do? We sinned. Right? It's just the way that it worked. But now, God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Just as he promised through the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. See, a long time ago, the prophets, Moses, who instituted God's law... When he instituted God's law, he said, but listen, there's a time coming. It's this foreshadowing of the Messiah where another will come and will fix it. That's the promise that's been since Genesis 3, and it's the promise that Moses reminded of, and we read it through the prophets all the time. We, we read about this, this great and, and, and wonderful day that's coming where, where God will pour his spirit on his people and the Messiah will come and it's what they were waiting for. And, and so now Paul says, listen, now God has shown us a way. He's shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised, right? And he keeps going. He says, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And it's true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. See, this is the great thing. When David is singing that Jesus paid it all, as Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain and he washed it white as snow. This is the thing, right? We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. Like there is no secret formula to your salvation. If I could get you to understand anything today, it would simply be this. There is no secret formula to your being made right with God. See, some of you sitting here know that very well. And if you know that very well, then just sit in that truth, bask in it, and know it. Some of you today, you're not sure. You think there's a secret formula to this. You think there's a, thing, a, a list of things that you do and a list of things that you don't do and a list of requirements that you have to meet. You think you've got all of these other things to tackle, but this is very simply it. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. That is a period. That is a declarative statement. It is over. And that truth is for anyone who believes, no matter who you are. I don't care who you are, that truth is for you. The reason that Paul says that in Romans 3.22 is because he's saying it to um, Jews who've been trying to follow the law their whole life. And he's saying it to Gentiles who haven't given one lick about the God of the universe their whole life. And so what he's saying is, I don't care how religious you've ever been. I don't care if you've ever even thought about following God. I don't care if you thought God was worth nothing. None of it matters to me. None of that matters. What matters is that you're made right with God when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, period, no matter who you are. You're an addict? Okay. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are made right with him. You're an abuser? You've got work to do. You need to stop doing those things. But when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are made right with God. 
adulterer, divorced, alcoholic, doesn't matter. You struggle with your sexual identity, guess what? It doesn't matter. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are made right with God. That's it. And right now, some of you are like, but Matt, you need to say more things about what that means. No, I don't. Because Paul doesn't. He puts a period on the statement. You are made right by God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, period. That's it. Now, we'll talk in future weeks about what happens when we become right with God and how that changes our life and impacts our life. But right now, stop qualifying what God doesn't qualify. We don't ask people to get cleaned up so they can come to church and meet God. We ask people to come as they are because they are made right by one way and one way alone, and that is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are. It does not matter who you are. It's true for everyone who believes, period. Get that. That's why what we do matters. That's why ministry matters, because there is one way. Jesus says this, right? He's like, hey, I am the— You know what? I'm just going to tell you when to. I'm going to tell you when to flip it. You're fine. I officially disavow that remote control. I'm done with it. <laughs> Jesus says this. He says, "I'm the way. I'm the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. Your morality doesn't get it done for you. My morality doesn't get it done for me." You can be the most moral person that ever has walked the earth. And guess what? Unless you choose to go through Jesus Christ, you're stuck in sin and you're hopeless. That's what he says. He says, I'm the way. And nobody gets to God unless you come through me. If you're here today and you have not completely put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you, then you have got an issue it's a salvation issue, and it's eternal, and it's huge. Because there is one way. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you're wired. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how other people define you. You are made right with God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, period. And, and, and the reason it doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter what you've done, and it doesn't matter what labels you have or how people define you, the reason that none of that matters is because when you go through Jesus, you know what you get? You get his definition put on you. We get the righteousness of God, of Jesus Christ, put on us. When you come to the cross, when you come to God through faith, in Jesus, what happens is you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. That's why it doesn't matter who you are. That's why it doesn't matter what you've done. Listen to me very carefully. God is not mad at you. God is not holding a grudge against you. God is not throwing your shame in your face. God is not doing any of that to you. What God is doing is saying, if you come by faith through Jesus, I will clothe you in his righteousness. I will make it okay. That's it. Right? There is no other qualifier. There is nothing else to do besides, as David put it, throw our faith to Jesus. John, why don't you go ahead and show that video?
It's not rocket science, right? This is something that we know. Um, but what happens, church, is we have to move it from something we know to something that we believe and that we act on. And I would venture to guess that there are many of you here who have this wonderful head knowledge of who I say Jesus is. You've heard me for a couple of weeks, a couple of months couple of years now you've heard me you've heard pastor david you've heard us tell you who jesus is you've heard us tell you that jesus died for you you've heard us tell you that god's not mad at you you've heard us tell you've heard us tell you that salvation comes by grace through faith um, so that when you believe you are made right and you are righteous and you are given eternal life in god you've heard us tell you those things but there's a head knowledge and then there's a belief and the reality is that all of us need to move from here to here. And some of us get stuck in here. I mean, we know this. We know it, we know it, we know it. We could recite it. Some of you can even tell it to other people. 
But there's a difference between knowing it and believing it. There's a difference between knowing it and submitting to it. And part of that is because we just don't know that we believe everything that there is to know. Part of it is because we don't believe this truth. Paul says it in Romans 3.23, all have sinned. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. If all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard, and the wages of sin are death, that means this truth, and this truth sucks. But it is what it is. Every single person, from the moment they're born, is on a collision course with hell. Every single person from the moment they're born is on a collision course with hell. Why? Because of what happened in the garden. Because of the fact that sin is real and that when we sin, we are not okay. That we're not right with God. And you can't fix it. That's the truth. But God, in his grace, we keep going. God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. You can't fix it, but God can. He freely makes us right in his sight, and he does it through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. This is what we call atonement and justification. God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This is what it means when we say we have faith. Have faith. Faith saves you. We need to move from knowledge to belief. What do we believe in? We believe in this. That people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood on their behalf. We call this, you ready for some fancy theological terminology? Okay, you can write this down if you want. You can say it at a dinner party and you'll sound really smart. And then they'll never invite you back to that dinner party. So here's what you do. Wait till about halfway through to make your decision. You're like, is this a good dinner party? Do I want to be invited back? If you do, leave it in your pocket. If you're like, I hope I never get invited to this party again, pull this out. And, hey, you know, what it, you know what it's called. Penal substitutionary atonement. Fancy 10-cent term. Penal substitutionary atonement. Penal because a penalty has to be paid. Substitutionary because Christ is your substitute. He pays it for you. Atonement because it covers your sin. It atones for your mistakes and your past, present, and future sins. Penal, substitutionary, atonement. That's what that is. And God, in his grace, even though we're all sinners and, and we're stuck, and the penalty for sin is death, and that is what it is. We are on a collision course with hell. Every single person, I don't care who they are, I don't care how good they are, they are on a collision course with hell. But God does something. And see, the cross is offensive to so many people because some of you, even now, even though we've talked about this, you sit here and you wonder why. Why the cross? If God really loves us that much, if God really cares about us that much, then why didn't he just say, don't worry about it, I forgive you. When my kids screw up, sometimes if it helps teach the lesson, I will make them pay penance, right? You're grounded. Um, you, you, you need to pay to have it fixed or whatever the case is. Uh, I, I will make them pay penance. Sometimes 
as parents, we just look at them and we grant them grace and mercy. And we say, you know what? You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. You don't have to get it right. You don't have to make it up to me. When I mess up with Carrie, and listen to me, I mess up with Carrie. Give her a hug afterwards. Um, tell her I said I was sorry. I mess up all the time. Um, I only say that because it's hot in here and I'm sure she'll hate it. Um, don't do it. Um, here's the deal. When I mess up with Carrie, Carrie is not making me, right? She's not making me pay penance. She's not making me fix it. She forgives me because she loves me and she wants us to be better. So she forgives me. She grants me forgiveness. We move on and it's better. The problem is we want God to do that same thing. We think if God is really good and God is really loving, then why won't God just look at us and say, you know what? You're forgiven. I love you so much. I'm just going to forgive you. We want to know, are our, our kids, our kids, our husbands, our wives, our parents, our grandkids, whoever, we want to know, if God is really loving, why would he, even though they're confused and even though, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're good, they're not Christians, but they're good, we, but if God is really good, why won't he just say to them, you know what, look, I love you, right? I forgive you. Why won't he accept them into heaven? Why won't he give them eternal life just because he's good and he loves them and he's merciful? We, we, kind of in the back of our heads, we're banking on God to do that. Listen to me. That can't happen. And it's not because God won't do that. Listen to me. You've got to understand this very carefully. It's not because God won't do that. It's because God literally cannot do that. God cannot let sin go unpaid for. It can't happen. Because God is holy. And by his very nature, a holy God cannot allow sin into his presence. So when God isn't going to look at your grandkid, who, who we want him to be okay, and he's a good person, even though he won't surrender to Jesus, and he won't put his faith in Jesus, and we say, but he's a good person, and we want God to just save him, because the answer for that is going to be no, and it's not because God doesn't want to. It's because God literally cannot. God can't accept unpaid-for sin into his presence. He can't do it. God is holy and righteous and just. And I know that blows some of your minds because you're like, God can do whatever he wants. God can't stop being who he is. He can't. So God cannot accept brokenness and sin into his presence. It has to be paid for. And Jesus is willing. Right? God in his grace freely makes us right through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right when they believe. Jesus paid it all. He said, come on, let's reason together. This is God saying, let's reason together. He says it in Isaiah, though your sins are red like scarlet, man, I will make them gone. I will make you white as snow. I will forgive everything. This is the gospel in a nutshell. Everyone is on a collision course for hell. There is one way to change your destiny, and that is through the person of Jesus Christ. And it's not a head knowledge. It's just simply a heart response. Later in August, Blessed Hope Community Church is going to participate in something called Saturate. And it's about this truth. 
It's about the truth that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God, even though he's good and loving, he literally cannot just decide that you're okay even if you're in sin. He can't just decide. You either respond to Jesus or your destiny is hell. That's the reality. And so we're going to participate in something called Saturate with some of the other churches in town. So we'll be partnering with, with Harvest and Oak Grove and Prairie Creek and ourselves uh, and potentially First Baptist, and, and we'll be flooding the community, this community and other communities in Benton County, um, with the gospel. And we're going to be asking you to help us do that. It's, it's not complicated. It's going to take several hours of your time. And if we all spend several hours of our time doing these things, then we are going to be able to share the gospel and invite people to church and pray for people that we've never met and that we won't even talk to. We're just going to pray and we're going to package some materials, uh, a letter from some of the pastors and some invitations to church along with just um, a gospel DVD and we're going to hang it on their door hangers and we're going to pray as we walk up to hang it on the door hangers and we're going to pray as we walk to the next house to hang it on their door hangers and we're going to cover the grand majority of Benton County that way. And it's going to take about four or five hours of your time. But I'm going to ask you to do that because this is true. Because we are all on a collision course with hell and there is only one answer and it's not being a good person and it's not that God will look, smile, wink, and ignore. The answer is Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And they're going to close us. I'm going to ask you to skip ahead to the last slide, John. Romans 5 tells us this, Since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Our friendship with God was fractured in the garden. Mankind was created to be friends with God, to walk with God in the cool of the day and to have a relationship with God. Sin broke that relationship. But through the person of Jesus Christ, our friendship, when we believe in Jesus, our friendship with God has been restored. And here's the challenge I have for you today. And it's, you're going to fit in any one of any number of camps. Some of you today have not had your friendship with God restored. You just haven't. Because you haven't gone from what you know to what you believe. And you've been banking on the kindness of God to look the other way or to say that you're good enough. But the truth is this, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the Father except when they go through Jesus, when they put their faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you are not yet friends of God. And that's something you need to remedy. Some of you have made the decision to put your faith in Jesus Christ, but yet you've lived a life that has made you not friendly with God. Right? So you said, okay, I am trusting God, and, and, and that's the case, but, but there's something, and we're just not friendly, right? There's enmity between you and God. He has forgiven you of your sin, but you're still living a life that's just at odds. You need to surrender that today, too. And some of you who are walking as friends with God and you are living that out, you know that you have people in your life. You know that you have people in your life that you ought to be praying for and pouring yourself out for because they, right now, currently are enemies 
with the God of the universe because they've not yet surrendered and put their faith in Jesus. All of us have some way to respond here. It's either I need to come to Jesus or I need, I need to start walking with Jesus or I've got people that need to know him. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. As we sing this last song, we go back to Jesus paid it all. I'm gonna encourage you if you need to make the decision to follow Jesus for the first time, I want you to come forward. I want to pray with you. I want one of the elders to pray with you. I want the person you came with, I want somebody to pray with you just to validate that you are making that decision and to come alongside you. If you need to make the decision that, you know what, I've decided to walk with Jesus, right? He's my friend, but I'm not living it out. Like, it's up and down, it's hit or miss, I'm not pulling it off, then you know what, I want you to come, and I want you to be encouraged, and I want you to receive grace, and, and I want you to be prayed for as well. And then if you've got a name that's on your heart, if you've got a name that's on your heart, I want you to feel free to come forward and share that as well so that we can be praying with you for that person or for those people that need to respond to the gospel, because there is one way to be right with God, and it is not being a good enough person. It is surrender to the God of the universe. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we just love you, and we thank you for the gospel message. We thank you that while we were still sinners, you sent your one and only son to die for us as a, as a, a penalty, as a sacrifice as a penal substitutionary atonement so that our sin and mistakes could be paid for by him so that we could be cleansed and forgiven. Father, we thank you for the promise that, that once we put our faith in Jesus Christ that you are faithful and just to forgive us. Father, we thank you for that truth. And I ask, I pray that if there are people here this morning that have not made that decision to put their faith in Jesus, that they would do so this morning. And, and more so, Father, I pray that if there are people here who are following Jesus but struggle to live it out every day, that you would convict them and you would grab hold of their hearts and that you would help put them back on, back on that path. And Father, for all of us that have people in our hearts that we long to see come to know you, because we know that hell is real and we want to see them come to know you, Father, we, we pray for them as well um, with diligence uh, because we want to see them saved. And we know that it's only through you that that happens. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask you for these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the sweetest name that we know.